Welcome back, Brewers fans, to the Barrel Banter. I'm your host, Peter Goen. David, uh, we just witnessed quite the game here. It was probably the most interesting game of the season, probably for, what, a couple of years? It was a crazy game here, uh, game three of that Yankee series. Well, they were, of course, no-hitting the Yankees through 10 and a third innings. It was one of the more compelling games because partly you're thinking along with Council trying to figure out, is Council going to run Corbin Burns back out for the ninth? And of course he decided not to. I think that was the right move considering that when the Brewers didn't score in the top of the ninth, you bring Burns back out for the ninth. Well, if they if he completes the no-hitter, it means that the Brewers lost because he gave up a run, which of course isn't the outcome that you want. Or he completes another no-hit inning. And now you got the 10th inning still because you're going to the 10th after throwing a scoreless ninth. You're not going to throw Burns back out for the 10th. So, I mean, I'm not going to argue that they should have extended him to 135 pitches or however many that would have required. So it was one of the more compelling things there. And then when it becomes a combined no-hitter, it loses interest a little bit. But then they come back and no-hit through nine, and then it goes to the 10th, no-hit through through 10. And it's then it becomes interesting again because 10 and a third innings, when was the last time somebody had a no-hitter through 10 and a third? Uh, that one I actually don't know off the top of my head. Twice in the live ball era, there have been a 10-inning no-hitter, and that's the longest no-hitter that there's ever been. Harvey Haddix, of course, went 12 perfect innings in the 50s. I said, of course, like everyone knows that. I would say probably a, a decent amount of our listenership knows that. That was in Milwaukee against the Braves. But he ended up losing it, so he didn't complete a no-hitter or a perfect game. But the Brewers were, they didn't either, but they were, I mean, through 10 and a third, how often do you see that? So, that alone brought interest, and then it was just a back and forth game that that was one that one that you're really never going to forget. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I, even Council bringing back Burns in the eighth, I, I thought it was likely he would. He did, which I was very glad. But I don't think that was necessarily a lock. I don't recall. Top of my head, Burns was close to 100 pitches. I think going into the eighth, that 96. Yeah, 96. That I thought. So, yeah, I mean, I was glad to see him put him out there in the eighth. Uh, Williams um, in the ninth. Did he strike out Judge to end the ninth also? Williams did? I'm trying to remember. I know Williams. Yeah, Williams, uh, 94 miles an hour, middle That's up, right. two count. Yep, yep, good at bat. Yeah, we got to see some good at bats against Judge and General Burns. Burns had him all day. That first at bat was a nice slider to strike him out. Um, and then, uh, of course, the Brewers opting to go with the intentional walk. I, I have to pat myself on the back. I did call the intentional walk before Council did. That was, I thought, a good move. Obviously, it worked out well for the Brewers too, but... One thing I wasn't happy with in terms of the managing, which I think was an excellent managed game from really start to finish. The only uh, knock I'd have would be the Brewers not bunting. And uh, mm -hmm. Bryce Turang, Andrew Monasterio, both those guys came up with a runner on second. Weimer that ghost also. runner on. Yeah, Weimer. I mean, and and Turang I know got the runner over. I think he came up twice. Turang came got the runner over uh, once earlier in the game, and then later in the game hit a little you know pop up to second base that did nothing and especially Turang, who's a pretty good bunter, good speed. You've got a chance that he turns it into an infield single anyways. And in the 13th inning, I believe it was, he was facing a lefty. So, I mean, Turang's a you know, 200 hitter just about as it is against the lefty, even worse. I would have loved to see a bunt there. I, I don't understand why the Brewers did not bunt multiple times and they didn't even do it once. So that was my, my one thing that, Looking back, that was, I think, a missed opportunity the Brewers had. But, yeah, what an outstanding game. 
um, all around. And it was like the 12th or 13th. And I, I turned to you and I said, I, I forgot Burns through eight, no hit innings this game. Cause it's a game. It felt like a couple games in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it at least is the best game since that 15, 14 game back in 2019 against Washington. Very different. That game was, that was really the, the height of the juice ball era. There were about 24 home runs that game. I think Braun hit two. Uh, D- no, we didn't have Domingo. Uh, Thames hit, I think, two. Moustakis, Grindall all hit home runs. That was back and forth. And, of course, that one, the Brewers ended up on top. So, as a Brewer fan, it ended up being a little bit more of a, a positive outcome. Not a little bit more. A lot more of a positive outcome. But that was the kind of game it reminded me. Just two opposite ends of the spectrum where where that game was the the game is so close because anyone could win it at any time because teams are going back and forth, going two runs, four runs, three runs. And this one was anyone could win it at any time because it's zero zero. So you get a runner on and you suddenly have a rally when nobody was getting anything off of Corbin Burns or Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole got out You mentioned this earlier by going seven innings, no runs. And we were a little worried about the Corbin Burns, Garrett Cole with Angel Hernandez behind the plate, but I'd say it lived up to the hype. Angel Hernandez had his fair share of calls outside the, primarily the outside corner on righties, uh, just off the plate that were called for strikes. I don't think there were any egregious calls, uh, but that means that he probably favored the Brewers if if we're saying there were no egregious calls because there there were a couple that were uh, a little bit generous. Yeah, I think there were definitely at least I know later in the game the Brewers benefited from that outer edge. It seemed like there was about a ball, sometimes two balls outside that he he gave. A little bit inconsistent, but it wasn't horrendous. Um, and, and we didn't even mention Sal Freelich. Abner Uribe pitching there in the 10th inning. Outstanding catch. Um, jumping into the wall, jumping into the other wall named Joey Weimer. That collision of uh, the entire Brewers' future right there all at once. And uh, luckily, Freelich comes down with the baseball. Weimer comes comes down with the bloody lip. And that's about, that was, I guess, the, the worst of it. So what an outstanding catch. I mean, that was an exceptional catch kept the no hitter, kept the game. I mean, that was the game. If uh, Freilich doesn't doesn't make that catch or makes the catch and slams into Weimer and drops it, the game's over. Um, so that was an outstanding catch and, and can't be overlooked, even though, of course, you'd love to see, you know, once you have that play, we both looked at each other. We were like, okay, now now we can have the no hitter because we had the catch. Mm-hmm. Every, every, every no hitter has to have the, the catch. And uh, that was, seemed like it was, that was it. But uh, Brewers couldn't hold on to the no hitter. But yeah, what a, what a crazy game to end the series. And and, and a, a week in which the Brewers took two out of three at New York, had two really good games, game one and two. Really, game three was a solid game as well. It's not a game that, yeah, sometimes those tough games, tough losses can hurt a hurt a club, hurt a clubhouse. I don't see that as a game that that's really the case. I mean, Brewers played exceptional baseball. Booster. Because, yeah. I mean, they of course they didn't come out on top, but they fought for so long, and it's demoralizing to lose that game, but you know that you can, like, you you played so hard to get to that point where you almost won that game. And it was I, 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 like having, it wasn't like they made mistakes either. I mean, you could have said they should have done a better job getting runners over, getting runners in. Sure. They, they could have improved in that way, but it wasn't a game where you walk away and you're like, man, that was the game that got away from us, that we lost, that we made a crucial error or struck out three times with bases loaded and nobody out. Not really, no. I mean, it was a game that was pitched better than quite possibly any game in the history of the franchise, or at least up there. It was a game that they played with good defense. The offense wasn't there, but they were also facing one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball, a Cy Young candidate in the American League, and you know Garrett Cole 
you don't really, we don't really need more descriptors for Garrett Cole. So it, to me, that's a game that I, I think almost boosts the morale. You say, okay, we were right there. Um, and, and now they're going to, I should know this off the top of my head. They're going to play the home to play the Marlins. I think home, or are they going to Miami? I know they're playing the the Marlins either way. They're playing the Marlins and you know, you took two out of three from the Yankees too, who were actually playing fairly well before the Brewers came to town. So they're, they're going home to play Miami. So to me, that's actually almost, of course you wanted to win that game, but I think the Brewers are in a, a perfectly fine position uh, to go on another run like they did a few weeks ago. I just need to leave the country again, apparently. Yeah, that, that, that apparently is the key. And did you know that Garrett Cole has not won a Cy Young yet? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he's like crazy. the one. I don't know. I, I feel like there's always that one guy. No, like Nolan Ryan never won a Cy Young. True. Like, I, I, I don't know if Cole will win this year, but, uh, but he, I, uh, yeah, I guess every year he's like top five. He's like the Craig Council Manager of the Year for American yeah. League Cy Young. Yeah, I think he's he finished second twice. I think, and he should be in the mix this year. I'm not sure. Uh, actually, in in the same mix as George Kirby. I feel like we have to mention. George Kirby, mm-hmm. this was all over all over Twitter for his comments. I, I'm curious to get your thoughts, David, as a, a former college pitcher yourself. Um, and you obviously had more experience than I did as, as a pitcher. Kirby, if you hadn't didn't hear the quote or the soundbite yet, they they left him in in the seventh. He had like 90 pitches, 92 pitches, something like that, going into the seventh. They bring him back out there and gives up either game-tying or um, loses the lead in the seventh and basically said after the game to a reporter that he didn't really want to go out uh, for – that inning, which was a bit surprising. And and of course you had the, uh, Roger Clemens, Mark Mulders, um, Seth McClung's every, every pitcher, uh, just about in the last 20 to 30 years on Twitter bashing, which I, I see the case for. So I'm curious, David, your thoughts as a, both a, a former pitcher and a player, and also as a fan, uh, in terms of, of that soundbite from George Kirby. Yeah. Well, I mean, for one, you, you, you can't say that even if you were thinking that at the time, but when you leave an inning, you, you always have to go back in expecting to go back out there the the minute that you think that you might not go back in and you let yourself get into that that headspace you're kind of done for you often will allow more runs I remember reading this book written by Bob Tewksbury who was a a one-time all-star in the 80s ended up becoming a mental skills coach and he said he was pitching in the all-star game he was he was kind of the uh the Paul Blackburn of all-stars that year where he was the guy that I don't know if he was the token one guy on his team but he was the, the starting pitcher in the middle of a breakout year. The Jeff Locke uh, would be another guy like that. But he he got selected and he pitched a really good inning. And he's like, okay, perfect. Like, I did it. I pitched really well at the All-Star game. And he's walking off the field, kind of soaking it all in. Because he's really excited that he just completed a, a good inning in the All-Star game. And then his manager asks him, hey, could you go another one? And he's like, um, sure, I'll go another one. But he had already checked out a little bit. And when he went back out, he got rocked and ended up being a pretty bad performance overall because he had kind of mentally removed himself from that, um, believing that he was or like the, the that certain in-game mindset that you have as a pitcher. So with Kirby, it seems like it was some a case like that where maybe he did that, and and I'm sure he'll learn from it. Of course, he's a good competitor because you don't get to the major leagues without being a good competitor. But it's something that you can't say, and it's something that you have to be be better than. He's a young pitcher, uh, and I think he'll I think he'll bounce back from it. Uh, but yeah, one you don't say that, and two, uh, you have to always 
expect to go back in and to want to go back in because if you don't want to go back in that's kind of a concerning thing as a competitor right right yeah but just very surprising sound might from somebody who's had an excellent year um and i I'm, i know there's a lot of regret um he's already i know released a statement since then but in terms of uh what he said but yeah i've never heard any anybody say anything like that and so i know that drew a lot of attention so let's let's move past uh the the week for the Brewers, like I said, of course, winning two out of three uh, in New York after losing a series against the Pirates in Pittsburgh. Um, but the Brewers find themselves up four games, first place in division. It certainly has helped that the Cubs haven't been playing great baseball lately. So they, the, the lead has now increased to four games and four against the Marlins, three against the Nationals here coming up. Brewers did re- recall our random player of the day t- today, David. They uh, A short-lived um, appearance in the majors for Clayton Andrews. And uh, why don't you share our random player of the day, Chiago Vieira? Yeah, Chiago Vieira was called up for Clayton Andrews. Uh, he has some major league experience. He pitched for the White Sox, came up in the Mariners organization, and did pitch for them a little bit. Then he went over to Japan, pitched in the NPB for the Yomiuri Giants, and had some success there. I think he had two or three years where he was one of the better relievers across the NPB. And while he was in Japan, he actually broke the record that was previously held by Shohei Otani for the fastest pitch in NPB history at 102.5 miles per hour. Um, I, I had to do the conversion. I forget what it was in kilometers per hour. Like, what is that? One, 164, I think. Something like that. It's 1.6 times, whatever, 102.5. Uh, but, but still, I mean, it's impressive. 102.5. He's a hard thrower, clearly. He speaks Portuguese, Spanish, English, and a little bit of Japanese. That one's been circulating a lot, but he's almost quadrilingual. Lingual, and he's one of five Brazilian MLB players to appear in the majors. We won't have you guess the other four, Peter. You might be here for a while. I, I don't know if you'd be able to get any of them. There, there aren't any that are particularly notable major league players, and they're all pretty recent, actually. Jan Gomes is one of them. He's probably the best Brazilian player ever. He had a 3.35 ERA in AAA Nashville this year before being recalled. And I hope the Brewers give him a decent shot in September. I think he's got a decent amount of upside as a, uh, as a, he's, he's a journeyman reliever, but he's not the guy that has middle reliever upside. He's somebody that I really could see being a late inning reliever. If he puts things together, even though he is, I think already in his late twenties, I could see him figuring some things out and, and having a role, maybe not in a, a postseason bullpen this year, uh, but maybe next year. So Chiago Vieira, today's random player of the day, a recent Brewers call-up. Yeah, and uh, just a guy that's got a super interesting background. Jan Gomes, I did not realize that he was Brazilian. I had no idea that that, that was the case. Um, that's another fun fact for you today. So, David, we've got two main topics here to talk about today, thanks to uh, our followers on Twitter. We had uh, asked for what you wanted to hear us banter about today on the show. And Mike uh, Lucas, Lucas, I apologize if I'm misspeaking the last name there. Uh, via Twitter. Thanks for your submission here to talk about how the Brewers should maneuver the offseason, specifically with three big names, uh, probably some familiar names for everybody. Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Willie Adames. All big, big question marks in terms of what the Brewers should do. Um, I, I feel like there's, right, David, there's the start one, bench one, cut one. Uh, there, there's several iterations non-sports related to this as well, but uh, how would you how would you break this down? I, I, I'm not sure it's necessarily a start one, bench one, cut one here with these three in the offseason, but what would you do um, as as the Brewers front office takes a look at this really interesting scenario and and probably 
you know, if you were to combine this into one decision, this is the, the greatest decision that'll have the greatest, I think, impact in the next five years as an organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's what they should do. And then there's what my prediction of what they will do, what they should do uh, with not my money. I'm not the one paying them is they should extend Burns and Woodruff and then let Willie's 2024 play out and see kind of where he is, what he looks like as a player. Is he more the, the 2021 hitter or is he more the 2023 hitter? What they probably will do is I, I still think they're going to trade Burns this offseason. I think they're going to extend Woodruff, whether it's before the year, maybe it's probably not during the year, but there's a chance, or maybe even in the offseason after 2024, and they'll let Willie play out. And I think that Willie may end up leaving. So I think the uh, instead of start one, cut one, bench one, it'll be extend Woodruff, it'll be trade Burns, and it'll be let Willie's 2024 play out. Uh, is what they will do. That's my prediction. Do you think that you said should? Do you, do you think the Brewers should extend Woodruff and Burns? Do you think that puts them in the best spot over the next five years? Well, of course, it's dependent on how much they're paying them and and how that impacts their ability to pay other players. Yeah, I but think, I think I think we know certainly Burns would get top dollar in, in terms of, uh, I mean, any starting pitcher hitting the market. There hasn't been. It's what every couple of years, maybe, that we get a guy like Corbin Burns hitting the free agent market with the success that he's had. So, I mean, we can expect top, top dollar in terms of what it would take to keep Burns here. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, it's tough because I, I also think the Brewers could be spending more money than they are, given how much they've spent in the past and and given how much money they bring in. I don't know all their their details, but the estimations are that the Brewers turn in a decent profit because in part because they get good good attendance despite being in the smallest market and they do have a pretty low payroll and they've been successful doing that so it's h- kind of hard to complain about that because many teams aren't successful doing that i think if you do extend burns and woodruff you're limiting yourself a lot so let's say the brewers dish out let's say burns gets 6 years 1 180 we'll say so that's 30 a year i, I think i think that's a pretty that would be my estimation is somewhere in there. Let's say Woodruff gets five years, 110. That'd be 22 a year. So we're talking about 52 a year to those two pitchers. Plus you're giving Yelich 26. The one, the one thing that I would say that the one reason I would say that they could maybe do that is because of the influx of young talent right now. It's very inexpensive to pay young talent. So they would maybe be able to create a competitive roster around the higher paid veterans Burns, Woodruff, and uh, and Yelich, because you've got Jefferson Caro, who's very inexpensive, because you've got Jackson Churio, Sal Freelich, Joey Weimer, Bryce Turang, for at least two or three more years, those guys will be inexpensive, and they'll still be in arbitration relatively underpaid, assuming the financial system doesn't change. I think you, you are able to pay Burns and Woodruff a little bit more because of that, so you've still got some payroll to work with. If they've got another $50 million besides... Yelich, Woodruff, and Burns. I think they can work with that, and I think that might be the best way to go. I wouldn't go over six years, one eighty for Burns, though, in an extension. It's it's very unpredictable to uh, to project pitchers out three, four, five years, and I, at least I would be very hesitant to. I would have to take a deeper look at where do we think we're going to be putting this money, and 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 what do we want to do in terms of window short window we're putting all our chips in versus a longer window which we know the brewers tend to favor the latter 
Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think if, if, if you had the option to sign Burns six years, 180, I think, I think it does make sense for the Brewers to, to take that chance, but I think he, I think he can get more. I mean, Garrett Cole got nine years, 324 million, uh, 36 million a year, essentially. He'll be a free agent in 2029. So that basically 2020 through 2028, he'll be pitching with the Yankees. So he was about that three years ago. So he's roughly about 26 when he hit the market and he got nine years, 324. I mean, Cole, obviously we just said, hasn't won a Cy Young. Burns did. Um, Burn, uh, Cole had maybe a, a bit of a longer track record than Burns because Burns had the the start as a reliever and then, of course, 2019 in there. But does if, if Cole got nine years, 324 at 36 million a year, uh, three years ago, I might add too, do you think it's realistic Burns would only get six years, 180? It's possible. It's po- He might get more, uh, maybe seven years, 210. But Cole was coming off a two-year stretch where he was – 65 starts, 412 innings, 2.68 ERA with an average of about 300 Ks a year over those two years. Burns is coming off two great years, uh, but if we're counting this year and last year, entering today's game for the numbers, they haven't updated on baseball reference yet. 373 innings, 3.26 ERA with 417 strikeouts. So even if we up that total, maybe he'll be at about 450 by the end of the year. That's still a, a half run of ERA difference. Uh, that's still, even if he throws another 30 innings this year, still fewer innings. Uh, he'll be hitting, let's see, Garrett Cole is coming off his age 28 season. Burns will be coming off his age uh, 29 season when he hits the open market. So one year later. So I think there are, I think, Pretty much everything has at least a slight edge in Cole's favor, maybe minus the Cy Young. So, will I mean Burns is certainly up kind of near that echelon in that 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 top echelon really of starting pitching. I don't know if there's really a better comp since Garrett Cole in terms of a, a good free agent contract, but because you know Scherzer's older, Verlander's older, Trevor Bauer opted for the short term deal, which worked out fabulously for the Dodgers. Good thing actually for the Dodgers that wasn't a seven year deal or something like that because yeah yeah could have gone probably seven years two ten. Well, but, uh, Degrom went yeah, and Degrom Degrom's not a good comp I don't think either. Same echelon, but obviously injuries and and he signed a, a six year, no five year deal, hundred eighty five million, so thirty seven million a year with Texas. But he he was thirty four when when he signed that contract. So I, I would agree. Actually, I don't think there's a better comp- comparison. Maybe the better, let's see, the better comparison. Mm. Burns is better, but. Rodon? No, Steven Strasburg. Coming off 2019, over his previous three years, he had a 315 ERA, 514 innings, 611 strikeouts. Burns over the last three years, 540 innings, so more innings, and I know. Add a few to that total, an even three ERA with strikeout total a little bit higher. So, so he's kind of halfway between Garrett yeah. Cole and Steven Strasburg. Strasburg was had just finished his age thirty season, so he was a little mm-hmm. bit older. Mm-hmm. I, I actually didn't realize Strasburg was that good. Uh, frankly, for mm-hmm. that long, for like that period of time, I, I always thought he was. I always thought he was you know an excellent two. I didn't realize he was a that's a true ace. I didn't realize he was a true ace. 
for a while there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, know. 2019 it's, coming off. 2019 was when he signed the contract. 18 wins, 3.32 ERA, 209 innings, which led the National League. And then he won World Series MVP. He got seven years, 175. So that's 25 a year coming off his age 30 season. So if that was that was also these contracts were four years ago. So the market will be a little bit higher. But if we're saying Cole got nine years at 36 a year, Strasburg got seven years at 25 a year, you split the difference and that's about eight years at 30 a year, maybe for Burns. That'd be eight years, 240. That's that's pushing it, but we'll see. I yeah, I don't know that you can get Burns and Woodruff if Burns costs that much. But I think I think Burns is or I think Woodruff is the better value than what you're going to get out of Burns. If you're going to say who's going to have the better stretch from 25 to 28, I think it's Burns. But I don't think it's that different. Woodruff's no. not very much older. I think not even a year older than Burns. Woodruff has the more consistent track record. He doesn't have the Cy Young to his name. But if you look at the 2019, 21, 22, and then even when he's been healthy this year, Woodruff has been very, very good. Uh, and I, I would say he's been kind of a 1B. He hasn't, he's been better than a 2 for sure, but he hasn't been an, an ace of aces like Burns has. Burns has been a top 10 pitcher. Woodruff's been top 15. He's an ace. I, so, I wouldn't call him. I think a one. B, I think one B is a, even a, a a disrespect on him. I think he's Woodruff's. I think is an ace. I, and I I would agree, hundred percent value wise, no doubt Woodruff's going to be a better value because if we're saying Burns, if we're saying Burns gets thirty a year, Woodruff's certainly no not getting twenty five a year. I don't think. I think he's probably somewhere between twenty and twenty five. And so, is there a huge huge difference between the two? No, I don't think there's a huge difference. So I think if you're going to extend one, Woodruff's the guy to go with, with including Willie in that discussion. I think Woodruff's the guy mm-hmm. to extend if you're only going to extend one of the three. And realistically, the Brewers are big fans of flexibility financially. Um, the Christian Yelich deal was obviously super significant in terms of the franchise history. And so for them to extend Woodruff is probably the second largest extension. Is that fair to say? Second largest extension the Brewers will probably have as an organization up to this point? Yeah, I think it certainly would be the case that Woodruff would at least be up there in terms of the second longest or second biggest extension in franchise history. Braun kind of had that weird, like he had two separate extensions, but he signed one four or five years before the first one was even going to run out. So I don't, I think officially his second one was only 105 million, but we don't need to get into all the weeds of the official details. Either way, Woodruff extension would be one of the biggest franchise, biggest contract extensions in the franchise's history. And certainly keeping Brandon Woodruff in a Brewers uniform would be uh, something that's very important for the Brewers if they want to contend, especially with a lot of young position player talent coming up, but maybe not as much pitching. Jacob Mizorowski is one guy that could be the next in the line of great developed pitching uh, in the Brewers franchise. They've had Burns, they've had Woodruff, Devin Williams, Josh Hader. And I I think it's kind of known now that as we transition to topic from birds, brews, bucks on Twitter uh, about the Brewers pitching lab or their pitching development as a whole, that the Brewers develop pitching really, really well, better than maybe any other team. There's, there's the Dodgers. Cleveland is known for their pitching development and the Rays are the ones that probably are known for their pitching 
better than any other team and, and taking kind of random guys and turning them into pretty good pitchers. So we'll take a look at whether the Brewers have better pitching development than the Rays. We don't know, unfortunately, what technology they have in their labs. Neither of us have been in either the Brewers pitching lab nor the Rays pitching lab. If, if we could, we certainly would have been by now. But the Rays have been very impressive so far. Uh, there are some question marks, though, around their pitchers that I would uh, that that make me second guess a little bit. There's Shane McClanahan, who's been very good when healthy, but being healthy has been a little bit of an issue this year. 115 innings currently on the 60 day IL. Tyler Glass now another guy who has turned into a very nice big league starter. Frontline certainly when healthy also, but had Tommy John missed part of this year, part of last year. They had Drew Rasmussen, who the Brewers traded to the Rays. You could even maybe give par partial credit to both the Brewers and the Rays. And he already had a lengthy injury history. Is it the Rays' fault that he got hurt again? I'm not sure. But those are probably the three most notable Rays pitching development stories, whereas the Brewers have had Burns, Woodruff, Williams, Hayter, maybe. Uh, what are your initial thoughts, Peter, on the Rays pitching development, the Brewers pitching development? Uh, the value of of these pitchers, specifically, I guess, the kinds of pitchers. Uh, what do you think? Do you think the Brewers have the edge here? I do, just based off of injuries. I mean, you mentioned a, a couple of those key guys. Drew Rasmussen, of course, a familiar name uh, in the Willie Adamas trade. He's been really good. He's he's been you know nineteen and nine since his uh, trade to the to the Rays. ERA below three, um, but he hasn't really been able to stay healthy um, a ton, and so that's been an issue for several pitchers. I, I don't know if that's just a fluke or not. And it's really hard to talk about the differences in the Brewers pitching lab, if you want to call it that, or instruction, the Rays, because we don't really know a whole lot what, what they're doing that's different. But we know they're doing something different than the rest of the teams because the Brewers have been exceptional. You, you mentioned, of course, Burns and Woodruff, Hader, Peralta, Devin Williams, um, all, all in there. But even like second-tier guys like Yoel Piamps, who we got in the William Contreras trade, he's been outstanding this year. Wade Miley, um, he's been... He's been really good when he's been with the Brewers. Kind of had a resurrection there in 2018 when he came over. Piguero this year. Adrian Hauser to some degree, too. I know he's not elite, but he's solid. So I would say, yeah, I think the Brewers have had the edge. And it's it's the way, it's the reason that the Brewers have been competitive now in this Craig Council era post-2017, if you want to count 2017 in there as well, too. But that that's really been what has allowed the Brewers to be competitive in this long window with a below-average payroll and... For much of you know, for much of the this run, the the offense hasn't been really developed. It's it's the pitching that's been developed, and then it's allowed the Brewers to go out and trade some of that pitching for Willie Adames or or sign you know sign some free agents that are position players, uh, plug and play different guys. So I, I think the that has been if if you could pinpoint one key to success for the Brewers organization over the last five or six years, there's no question. It's it's definitely the pitching development. And there's been subsequent moves that have, have I think, been made that have um, helped the Brewers succeed. But without that, the Brewers wouldn't be wouldn't be where they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Shane McClanahan and Tyler Glasnow are probably the two biggest guys on the Rays that they've developed. McClanahan, three years so far in the big leagues, 404 innings. Corbin Burns has thrown. Uh, what we were just talking about it earlier. He's thrown. Uh, if he throws, if he takes all the starts the rest of the year, he'll probably finish with about a 200 inning season this year, 200 innings last year, about 170 the year before. Woodruff has been a little bit more injury prone. 
Uh, but but Burns has thrown significantly more innings than McClanahan. Freddie, I would say, kind of on par with McClanahan. Tyler Glass now has not pitched that much over the past few years because of injury. The biggest thing with your best pitchers is that you need them on the field and on the mound. And the Rays certainly have had a nice, like they, they've got the depth that the Brewers have on the position player side of things. But the Rays have uh, have not been able to keep their top guys healthy as well as the Brewers have. So I think that you'd give the Brewers the edge, not only on the injury side, but also in terms of just mere quantity of innings coming from starting pitchers, whereas the Rays maybe have a little bit more of a breadth of starting pitching, or excuse me, a breadth of pitching, not necessarily starting pitching on that side. And I think the the one that's impressive to me, or one of the more impressive resurrections of a career for the Brewers is Wade Miley, who we give the credit often with Corbin Burns, with Woodruff, with Peralta. But Wade Miley was kind of at the end of end of a big league career. He was an all-star in his rookie year in 2012 with the D-backs. He was a fairly highly touted prospect coming in. But then he kind of he, he declined as he went through, spent time with Boston, Seattle, Baltimore. His 20, 2014 and 15 campaigns, ERAs in the mid-fours, 5.37 ERA in 16, 5.61 ERA in 17. And then turned it around in 2018, had a 2.57 ERA in 80 innings that year. And since then, he's pitched, he pitched a full season with a sub-4 ERA in 19. In 21, he pitched a full season with a 3.37 ERA. And this year, he's got a 3.3 ERA in 103 innings. Uh, almost a complete reversal of the trajectory for Wade Miley. And that started when he was a member of the Brewers in 2018. That's one of the more impressive ones for me, maybe even more so than, than Corbin Burns or Brandon Woodruff. Yeah, you, no, you're absolutely right. And, and we didn't spend a lot of time on, on some of the bullpen guys. Of course, Josh Hader, Devin Williams, more recently, Piamps and Baguero. I'm not as familiar with the Rays bullpen and, and how they've been able to develop, but the Brewers have done it with their elite guys. Like you said, Burns, Woodruff, they've done it with, if you want to call it second tier starting pitchers like Miley, um, even like Chase Anderson, you know, having that, 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 especially that one year that he had, um, Chasin came in and had that really good year. Like they just seem to get a lot out of the guys. Um, and I, I don't know how much that has to do with the coaching staff, council, the organization, scouting. Like it, it could be a, a number of things. I'm sure it's all of them in some some capacity. But yeah, the Brewers have, have done well. And that's that's what's propelled the organization. I, I do think the Brewers have, have the edge. And in terms of developing pitchers, I think they've been second to none the last six years. Uh, I think that's that's fair to say. So appreciate the uh, the request there. Uh, via Twitter for us to discuss that. That was, uh, I enjoyed you, David hearing your thoughts on that. Cause that's, I don't think that's something we've talked about either comparing to the Rays. Um, so thanks uh, for that request from at birds, brews and bucks on Twitter. And David, uh, finally a, a mini segment here in honor of the uh, FIBA world cup, which, which ended uh, the U S did not win. I know you got a chance David to see the U S play um, in the Philippines, but uh, Germany winning the, the FIBA world cup and it prompted, prompted the, 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 the thoughts of, what MLB can do to grow the game internationally. We know NBA is obviously huge across the world and they're the most global sport uh, as, as far as the U S sports go. But what do you think about what MLB can do to try to grow the game internationally? And, and will they ever have the opportunity to even catch a little bit of what the NBA is doing? Before we get to the second question, I think in order to grow the game, at least incrementally to get to even start getting to that point, the biggest thing is for, major league players to play in the Olympics. Think back to the 92 
uh, dream team that was in the Olympics. It's easier in the NBA because the international competitions are always over the summer. Baseball in the winter Olympics wouldn't really work for a number of reasons. Japan, Korea, they pause their seasons for the Olympics so that their best players can play. And who often would win the medals when they were having the Olympics between uh, baseball and the Olympics between 84 and 08? It was usually Japan, Korea, and Cuba who also paused their season to have the best players play in the Olympics. I think if you have that, it's okay if, to me, it's okay if the U.S. dominates in the Olympics like they did in 92 because they put, the, they, the dream team they is credited with popularizing the game internationally because it was on an international stage. They're playing against your country and you see Michael Jordan and Charles Barkley and Magic Johnson, late career, Larry Bird. You see these these superstars that become global superstars in part because of them being on the international stage in the Olympics, the biggest stage in international sports, really any sport, maybe maybe the FIFA World Cup. Uh, we're not going to sit here and debate about whether the, the FIFA World Cup is bigger. So I think if you put the players in the Olympics, you get you get maybe the position players that you already had in the World Baseball Classic, but the pitching you get also perhaps. Uh, during the season in the Olympics and you put it on that stage. And I think it, that's maybe the first step towards growing the game internationally. I think too, MLB can be investing more in, in other countries, uh, just infrastructure, if that's the right word uh, of baseball. Um, I think starting kind of from the ground up because the more like think about NBA and the international players you have, of course, hometown Giannis Antetokounmpo from Greece. You know, if you have more players that are international players in Major League Baseball, that also draws in the fan base. What, what was it? What was the the most watched NBA game? Right, Yijian Leon versus Yao Ming. Ming. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, like that that getting trying to to nail down that aspect of saying how do we how do we get people from Greece to want to watch baseball more? Have a Giannis in the MLB, which is easier said than done. But I think globalizing the game and MLB investing in, like I said, baseball as a game, as a sport for even kids and semi-pros and all of that, building more of the opportunity for international players to play. Because if we continue to just mainly have a lot of U.S.-based players, which, correct me if I'm wrong, is is where the game is moving. It's even moved moved more to... No, uh, it, has, it has moved more internationally. It's less diverse in terms of blacks playing in the major leagues but there are there are actually more international players right now but we haven't seen the growth of players quite to the level that we have in the nba and they're not they're not tier one players for them a lot of them like we don't have a a luca um international player well, like the nba does well there's shohei shohei <laughs> um i mean okay true i think take I out think... shohei take out take him out okay. and then well i and think then who you what... you're right the gap there is that the U.S., the international players in the U.S. come from the same countries. It's Japan, um, Ha Sung Kim from Korea, or Hyunjin Ryu. They're, are they superstars? No. Although Ha Sung Kim's putting up a odd pace for six-war season. But they're very good players. You got Acuna from Venezuela. You got uh, the, the Dominican players. You got, of course, we're not going to name all the Dominican players. But beyond the the few core countries, Puerto Rico, put them in there, Taiwan, maybe there aren't really that many. Whereas basketball, it's, it's more widespread. You have, you have countries from all around the world that are big basketball countries. 
and baseball, I would say, doesn't quite have that quite that same reach around the globe. It's a little bit more concentrated in these specific countries. Uh, and even you get like, it's huge in Japan. It's huge in Korea. It's very big in Taiwan too. But then China, that it's not big at all in China. The Philippines, not big at all in the Philippines. So I think there are a lot of markets where it could grow. And yeah, certainly the money, it makes it difficult because baseball isn't as easy to play as basketball. You need more room, you need more equipment, more people. So will it ever reach the popularity of basketball because of that? And and basketball is just a simpler game in terms of the objective of it, how to play it. So I, I don't know. I, I would be surprised if in our lifetimes we see baseball exceed the popularity of basketball on the international stage. But I do think there is work that MLB could do in terms of putting money into it, in building infrastructure, in even maybe trying to work out ways to broadcast games more accessibly in other countries. Uh, maybe they put more international series like they've done in London and Tokyo and add a few countries there. And, and maybe then the game will grow a little bit better internationally, uh, kind of continuing on the trajectory it's on, but not the trajectory that the NBA has. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. And I think continuing to just play more internationally, have those games across the world certainly should help. But I, I think it's a, it's a long, it's a long-term game for sure to, to make that happen. It's not going to happen in the next five, 10, or maybe even 20 years. I, I think they have to deeply invest in it now to, to maybe, like you said, in the next generation, increase the popularity of baseball across the globe. But yeah, I think it's, I, I think it's an interesting topic um, in light of the FIBA world cup. And we do need to have more international uh, competition in baseball world baseball classic was was obviously good this year of course we had the the, the otani trout showdown at the uh, pinnacle of that so that was that was good to see and i'd love to see more of that too going on but uh any other final thoughts here david I, it's been a, it's been a while since i asked for for final thoughts since i know you uh you love when i put you on the spot here but any final thoughts here um before we close the episode out yeah well bouncing off that congrats to germany on winning the FIBA world cup uh, I don't know if if uh, they've probably won before, mm, maybe with Dirk. Uh, the The coach of Team Germany said Dennis Schroeder is the new Dirk Nowitzki. Uh, I, if you're saying best player from Germany, sure he'll take that title. I I don't know if we're quite there yet, uh, but believe it or not, there there are two active players from Germany. Brendan Donovan and Max Kepler were both are both German players and. If I recall correctly, Brendan Donovan was actually going to represent Germany in the WBC qualifiers back in 2020 before they got canceled. Uh, but baseball is, is, I guess, Germany probably bigger than, in Germany, bigger than the other European countries, uh, but still lagging behind significantly in Europe, uh, where, where uh, baseball is, or basketball is king in most of Europe. So um, I don't have a good stat, but since we're talking about international competition, congrats to Germany on winning. Uh, and that will that will qualify as my final thoughts. All right. Well, actually, I, I got one more thing for you that uh, we wanted to touch on. Put out a, a Twitter poll or an X poll, if you want to call it that, uh, today on whether it made sense for the Brewers to consider keeping Freilich in the leadoff role and bumping Yelly and Contreras back to two and three when Yelich does return. Uh, surprisingly, 76% of our uh, followers said yes to bumping Yelich and Contreras back. We had um, at GMoney8KS also tweet out that when Garrett Mitchell's back next year, he likes the thought of Mitchell at leading off Freilich two, Yelich three, Contreras four, Dames five, which I don't know. I don't know. That's kind of kind of interesting. We haven't seen 
um, Yelly in the three spot in a while, and he's certainly flourished at the leadoff spot. So I, hot, I guess rapid fire question, David, um, yes or no in terms of would you bump Yelich and Contreras back two and three, and do you like the idea of maybe a Mitchell Fralick, uh, Yelich, Contreras, Adames look to the lineup next year? I know the stats may not quite back me up on this in terms of, of putting like the high on base guys first and you put the, the two hitter, the three hitter as your best hitter. Personally, I would keep Yelich in the leadoff spot just because of how well he's performed in that leadoff spot since he was moved there in the middle of last year. He's, he turned in a very good year so far this year. And last year, even after moving to the leadoff spot, he was considerably better than he was previously. I think just that comfort level of we've seen Yelich struggle in the three spot. Don't mess with what's working for maybe an added 2.5 runs throughout the year. Keep Yelich in the leadoff spot. Keep Contreras in the second spot. Then when you're looking at the lineup spots, three through six, whether it's Freelick, Santana, Canna, Garrett Mitchell, maybe when he comes back or for next year, you can kind of play around with those a little bit more. Uh, but personally, I would keep Yelich in the leadoff spot and Contreras too. All right, there we go. There's your uh, there's your take, David. And uh, I think we'll close on close on that again. Brewers having uh, a busy week here. Four games against the Marlins and the three against the Nationals. Currently with a four game lead here on the Cubs in the National League Central, and we're really closing in on the final couple weeks of the season. So Brewers looking to hold out the NL Central title and uh, jump into the playoffs. So it should be should be a fun couple weeks, hopefully a couple months, uh, David, here as uh, we continue our coverage here on the Barrel Banter. We're always here every week. So uh, appreciate you taking the time to listen. Uh, feel free to check us out over on Twitter at the, uh, the Barrel MKE. And until next time, this is Peter and David Go signing off. Go Brewers.